This is uh, Dr. Peter Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And uh, today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Dr. Ana Maria Young, who is an Associate Professor in the Department of Radiation Oncology at the University of Florida, Gainesville. Welcome, Ana Maria. Thanks so much for having me, Pedro. So this is a, a great opportunity, and congratulations on your recent publication in uh, JCO. Um, the you. title of, of the uh, manuscript is Improvement in Patient uh, Reported Outcomes with Intensity Modulated Radiotherapy Compared with Standard Radiotherapy, a report from the NRG-RTOG 1203 study. So um, obviously this is a, this is a really important point, and, uh, and I think that this is a, a point that definitely deserves a, a really good discussion um, and in this podcast, we're basically going to be focusing on the element of uh, patient care and symptom assessment and recovery from the patient's perspective. Um, I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit as to why you consider that it was specifically important to perform this study. And I was wondering also if you're particularly interested in, in what were some of the tools that are considered standard for reporting adverse events today and the difference between those and patient-reported outcomes. Of course, and um, I just want to start with just saying it's an honor to um, be a part of this podcast, so thanks for inviting me. Um, so the idea behind this particular study was to compare how symptomatic adverse events are reported by physicians and patients. So for me, this was important because understanding how two different treatments affect our patients from their perspective is, I think, critical to how we counsel our patients and have shared decision-making. Mm -hmm. The standard tool that we are all pretty used to and have used in the past um, and is used very commonly in clinical trials is the NCI-CCCAE, mm -hmm. or the Common Terminology Criteria for Adverse Event. Mm -hmm. This tool is designed so that physicians can objectively report on adverse events. And generally, this works really well for um, adverse events that are observable, like a drug rash, and for lab abnormalities. Mm -hmm. But it's not quite adequate for symptomatic adverse events. And then this is really where PROs, or patient-reported outcomes, um, are useful because they allow the patients themselves to report on their own symptoms, which is an inherently subjective process. Absolutely. And... Um and I was wondering if you can tell us, uh, because obviously this, this information is to derived uh, from a phase three randomized trial that I mentioned before, the RTOG uh, 1203. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us a little bit more about the study itself and the design and primary objectives, and, and what were some of the results of that study? Yeah, the RTOG 1203 trial um, was actually a really simple trial we compared IMRT and standard four-field radiation in patients with either cervical or endometrial cancer that required post-op RT after surgery. Mm -hmm. The primary objective wasn't um, tumor control. It was actually to determine if there was an improvement in patient-reported acute GI toxicity with IMRT. Mm -hmm. And um, the results showed that, indeed, there is an improvement with IMRT um, GI toxicity reported during the last week of radiation was worse in the standard RT arm, um, and that difference was statistically significant. And um, it also showed that urinary toxicity was worse in the standard RT arm, 
Um, and there was a trend toward, it wasn't significant, but there was a trend towards improved quality of life in the IMRT arm as well. Okay. And now looking specifically at your study um, and the information that you gathered from, from the RTOG study, um, tell us uh, about your study design and specifically I think the audience would like to hear about um, the tools you use to assess these patient-reported outcomes and the frequency of the administrations because I understand these are not a one-time em- event uh, measure. Right, correct. So as part of the RTOG 1203 study, patients completed two different GI PRO questionnaires. Um, one was something called EPIC, which is actually what we used for the um, primary outcome. And then we also had patients um, fill out a different questionnaire called the PRO-CTCAE GI questionnaire, um, which is just five questions that ask about diarrhea, abdominal pain, and fecal incontinence. Mm-hmm. This PRO instrument, the PRO-CTCAE, is helpful um, in comparing physician-reported symptoms with PRO, with patient-reported symptoms, because it was developed by the NCI as a patient-reported version of the CTCAE. So mm-hmm. it's a nice sort of way to compare the two. Um, and the patients completed the PRO-CTCAE um, at baseline at week five of RT, which is uh, generally the last week of radiation, mm-hmm. at four to six weeks after RT, one year after RT, and then finally at three years after radiation. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a follow-up, Anna Maria, w- one question that I had was that the, the PRO-CTCAE, uh, um, uh, uh, is this something that is publicly available to investigators yeah. and particularly also internationally because many of our listeners are from institutions internationally? Is this something that uh, can be widely uh, used? I believe it is. It's. I think it's publicly available, and I believe it's available internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually a question set of all uh, different adverse events mm-hmm. um, that are found in the CTCAE. They're just sort of um, uh, transferred into a patient-friendly way of asking and a way that a patient can respond, basically mm-hmm. a five-point Likert scale. But I believe it's available to anyone who wants to use it. Okay. And one of the things that I noted uh, from your study that I, f- I thought was very interesting and, and I think obviously a very important strategy, as you alluded to earlier, is comparing the patient and the physician-reported uh, toxicity. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about this and, and the reason as to why you decided to look at this information, um, looking not only at the patient's perspective, but also how well or poorly the physicians did in terms of reporting uh, that toxicity. Um, well, when we designed the trial, we guessed that PRO data would be more sensitive in detecting a difference between the two arms compared to physician-reported toxicity. There's actually been um, several studies that have shown that physicians underreport toxicity compared to patients. And we had an idea that there would be a difference between um, patient and physician-reported toxicity, but we really had no idea that the difference would be so striking. Mm-hmm. It was really when we saw the data that we realized it was important to present this comparison to really highlight how important the patient's perspective is. Mm-hmm. And um, in terms of 
there obviously, you know, as you mentioned, there were there were several time points that um, that you had to to evaluate. And before we get into the the actual results of your study, one of the things that I, I I'm always interested in is particularly when you have to cover multiple time points is the compliance. Um, how well did the patients do in terms of the the reporting? at each of these time points because you had baseline as you mentioned week five weeks four yeah. to six a year three years um, do you have any uh, documentation as to the compliance yeah so um, generally it was good up until the three-year mark the compliance rate was 95 percent at baseline mm -hmm. went down to 85 and 83 percent at week five of radiation and four to six weeks after rt mm -hmm. Went down a little bit more to 76% at one year, which is still, I think, relatively good. Mm -hmm. um, but then at three years, it went down to 52%. So the three-year data, I, I think, is definitely more questionable. Yeah. No, but I mean, I think definitely it's uh, it's remarkable. And having uh, run a, a prospective randomized trial with, with quality of life assessment out to 54 months myself uh, and you know certainly i think that these percentages are are quite remarkable so so congratulations to you and your team for being mm -hmm. able to uh, gather yeah. that definitely so difficult <laughs> to get all that data for right sure. um so what were the what were the results what did you find um how many patients uh, did you include and uh, wh what were the main findings there were 234 patients that actually completed the, they, they consented and completed the PRO-CTCAE portion. Mm -hmm. um, and so they were included in this particular analysis. We compared this data with a physician-reported CTCAE data. Mm -hmm. When we looked at any grade adverse event, so that means grade one through five, even though we didn't have any grade five events, okay. um, we found that patients reported significantly more abdominal pain compared to physicians. So mm. eight, uh, patients reported 80%, 80% of patients reported abdominal pain versus mm -hmm. only 36% of physicians. Um, patients reported more diarrhea, 87% versus 75%. And patients reported more fecal incontinence. Mm. And this was striking where patients reported 53% um, versus only 3% of um, physicians. Mm -hmm. This difference, um, so those were numbers for all any grade adverse events. This difference still held when we looked at only high-grade toxicity, meaning CTCAE grade 3 to 4 toxicity, and then the corresponding PRO-CTCAE equivalent. Mm -hmm. um, for high-grade toxicity, the difference was most dramatic for diarrhea. It was 43% uh, for patient-reported versus 5% for physician-reported. We also looked at if the PRO-CTCAE results differed between treatment arms, and indeed there was a difference. Patients in the IMRT arm reported less diarrhea at week five of radiation and also one year after RT. Okay. IMRT patients also reported less fecal incontinence at week five of radiation. But when we looked at the physician-reported toxicity, there was actually no difference between the treatment arms. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that these findings are really fascinating because, uh, you know, you would think or that more generally, I think that we kind of all assume that these would be very similar percentages in terms of reporting. And, and these are, are quite uh, different. And one of the things that I, I understand this is not unique to cervical cancer or endometrial cancer patients. 
the, you mentioned there were other studies in prostate and oropharyngeal cancer where similar results were found. And, and the question is then, wh why do you think this is the case? Why is there such a drastic difference? Well, I, I think the key here is not the type of cancer being studied. I think it's rather the type of adverse event being studied. Mm -hmm. So when we're looking at symptomatic adverse events like diarrhea in this study or like throat pain in the head and neck cancer study, mm -hmm. patients generally report more symptoms than do physicians. And so it makes sense that this difference is independent of the cancer type and site. Mm -hmm. One of the things you, you mentioned in your discussion is you, you provided a, an interesting example of the challenges in directly comparing the PRO's adverse events and the, uh, and the standard adverse event uh, tools. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, the difficulty really is in the fact that symptoms are subjectively experienced and reported by patients. But the CTCAE was designed so that physicians can try to objectively report those same symptoms. Um, this is really highlighted, and this is the example I used in the paper, um, when we try to compare high-grade adverse events. Mm -hmm. So, for example, a patient who loses control of bowel movements once a day might report frequent fecal incontinence because, to her, once a day is frequent. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that would correspond to a high-grade toxicity on the PRO. Mm -hmm. But by CTCAE criteria, that same once-a-day loss of control of bowel movements would correspond to only a grade 1 or 2 fecal incontinence, depending on if they had to use occasional or daily pads. So mm -hmm. you'd get an a incongruence between the level of severity between patient-reported and physician-reported um, mm -hmm. toxicity. It is, however, much more straightforward to compare the total reported adverse events, regardless of severity. Mm -hmm. So in that example, both the patient and the physician would have reported some fecal incontinence, mm -hmm. even if it is reported as less severe by the physician. Yeah. Well, you know, one of our, uh, we have uh, fellows in, in, the, in our journal uh, that rotate uh, through the editorial team for about uh, three months. Um, in, That's uh, fantastic. Yeah, and uh, one, one of the fellows uh, asked uh, when, when uh, she had read your manuscript and she said, please ask her, do you think that the underreporting by physicians might be a motive to continue patients on the clinical trials? And uh, I, I just had to ask that question because I promised her I would. So what are your <laughs> thoughts? <laughs> I, I think that's a great thought by your fellow, um, and I certainly could be part of the issue. I think that there are several factors at play here in, in terms of the discrepancy. Um, first, I think there are symptoms that we as physicians really aren't aware our patients are experiencing. I personally was shocked to see that 50% of patients reported fecal incontinence after 45 to 50 gray of pelvic radiation. I would have guessed that the fecal incontinence would be an extremely rare symptom. Mm -hmm. And I honestly never asked about it prior to seeing the results of this mm -hmm. data. Um, second, for symptoms that patients consider embarrassing, like fecal incontinence or sexual dysfunction, I think a lot of patients just aren't going to speak up about what they're experiencing, mm -hmm. especially if their physician doesn't bring it up first as a possible side effect. Um, we depend a lot on patients being able to communicate to us what they're experiencing 
and a lot of times that communication can be really difficult for patients. Yeah. And then lastly, physicians, we're all trained to deal with more severe toxicity, and I think that creates a certain level of bias against us sort of detecting um, what we perceive as mild symptoms. I think we have a general sort of, um, we sort of tend to dismiss milder symptoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are, are really great points and, and observations. You're, you, you're absolutely right. You know, it's sort of like if, if you don't tell me what you're going through, I'm not really uh, going to ask uh, or go into uh, very many details. So actually that, that brings me to the next question that I have for you uh, with regards to um, can you stress as to what were some of the reasons for making sure that we all perform an accurate assessment of symptomatic adverse events and, and just be, you know, be beyond the obvious, obviously, because we want to be informed about what our patients are going through. I, I was interested if you can talk a little bit about how adverse events might actually impact the overall survival and the decisions uh, about uh, treatment. Yeah, there's actually several studies um, that have shown that patient-reported toxicity helps predict for overall survival. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of the studies are smaller and some are um, uh, pooled analyses, but it's it's several studies showing a consistent um, trend where patient-reported toxicity um, sometimes alone, sometimes in addition to physician-reported toxicity, can mm-hmm. predict for overall survival. So I think that definitely um, speaks to the fact that accurately assessing our own patient's toxicity during treatment can help us in determining their ultimate outcome and maybe help make decisions about, you know, if they're going to get continued treatment or, or what they can tolerate. Yeah. And I, I think also it it's helpful for us in our practices to have a good understanding of what our personal patients experience um, so that then we can better counsel future patients about various treatment options as well. Yeah. And I mean, obviously it's a, it's a great point regarding the discussion about toxicity and the relationship to survival that often I think it's, uh, it's, it's missed uh, during the yeah. interaction with, with our patients. Right, um, right. So obviously, you know, uh, uh, now my next question, it's, uh, I always ask uh, this question. Um, great study published in the Journal of Clinical Oncology, so of course you should be very proud. Um, you know, there's always those who will have criticisms of, of our studies as it routinely happens. What would you say are some of the limitations that you recognize in this study and, and how would you address these? Of course. I mean, every study has its limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, in our study, it would have been really helpful to directly compare physician and patient-reported toxicity at each time point that the PROs were um, administered to the patients. The reason we couldn't do this um, was that the PRO CTCAE was administered at those certain time points, but asked only about symptoms in the last seven days whereas physician-reported toxicity was recorded at certain time points but included toxicity that occurred in between those time points. Um, So even though we argued for it, our statisticians uh, said (laughs) it was not a a valid comparison. Um, The other big limitation, I think, is the patient compliance um, with completing the PRO CTCAE, um, especially at the one and three years Mm post-radiation. So now... um 
again, another question that I often will ask is um, how, how do the results from this study uh, impact your own practice and how should it change how we manage or counsel uh, patients moving forward? Well, for me, it's really impacted how I read the literature. Um, mm. Because of these results, I am much more wary of studies that compare treatments that only looked at physician-reported toxicity, especially seeing in, in our study that there was no difference between the treatment arms uh, with regards to toxicity that was physician-reported. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to also see... Uh, when I read the literature, how patients themselves reported toxicity, and I think including this information in trials is the only way to get an accurate idea of how different treatments compare. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also changed how I present different treatment options to my patients. I try to present patient-reported toxicity when available, so they have toxicity data from the perspective of their peers and not just from the phys- physician's perspective. I think. This is really important when we're trying to have shared decision-making with our patients. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and I really uh, really like the point you, you talked about how the literature should be interpreted based on the results of, uh, of this study. Really, really great point, and I'm glad uh, you made that point. Um, mm-hmm. So now we're coming to the, the end of our discussion, and, uh, and you know, certainly it's, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, and, and I want to congratulate you again on this uh, really great study. Um, do you have any uh, closing uh, remarks you would like to make? Yeah. Um, uh, number one, thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful and um, definitely an honor. Um, and I really want to just urge scientists that are developing clinical trials to really strongly consider using PROs in addition to the usual physician-reported uh, toxicity. Um, this is really the only way to get an accurate picture of toxicity as it affects our patients, and we really need this kind of information to help guide our patients through their decision-making. Absolutely. Anna Maria, thank you so much. And again, congratulations, and uh, thank you for the contributions you're making to, to the literature. Thank you.